The following program contains explicit language and may not be suitable for young listeners. Hello, and welcome to episode number two of Little City Big Sound. David Pender Lofgren here with another installment. But before we begin, I want to thank everyone who took time to listen to episode one. Many of you sent emails or contacted us through the website with words of encouragement, suggestions, and ideas about future episodes. Some of you I've known for years, and some of you I've never met, but I have to say that we really appreciate the feedback. So keep it coming. After you listen to this episode, head to our website, littlecitybigsound.com, and drop us a line. Let us know what you think and who you want to hear from. Thanks to your suggestions, we've already got some guests for future episodes that I'm really excited about. This month's guest is none other than Brent Cole, founder and editor of What's Up, Bellingham's monthly music magazine. Brent and his wife and co-editor Becca Schwarz-Cole just celebrated the 20th anniversary of the magazine with a weekend-long Crosstown Music Fest that featured well over 100 performances, most of them free and many of them reunions of bands that haven't played together in years. It was a testament to the strength and the depth of our music scene and the support that What's Up has given us for the past two decades. I have to admit that Brent is a big inspiration for this podcast. His coverage of our music community over the last 20 years is a fundamental part of what makes this scene so cool and so well-supported. Bellingham is a relatively little city with a relatively big and vibrant music scene, but it has changed quite a bit, and there are few people better suited to explain that change than this month's guest. Brent Cole, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been publishing What's Up magazine for 20 years now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can we start by going back to what Bellingham was like 20 years ago? Can you describe uh, what the town was like and what the scene was like? It was so different. It's hard to quantify. I mean, you know, you had shows Fridays and Saturdays, and that was it. You couldn't go on a Tuesday to go see live music because it just didn't exist back then. Uh, There wasn't a crowd for it. Uh, Aaron at the 3B, which was our kind of my home away from home, was the 3B Tavern. Uh, He Every once in a while, maybe he would do a show on a Sunday, like Do-Rag, which had Bob Log in it. Um, There there wasn't the population. There wasn't the buzzing in the scene or anything like that to warrant a seven days a week, which it is now. So it was obviously a lot slower. Uh, Bands also didn't stick around ever. You basically, you went to college and you played in a band. And then when you graduated, you went and got a real job. Maybe you tried to tough it out in Bellingham for a year. So that's kind of what we came into in 1998. Um, At the time though, there were so many great bands, Um, bands that were really trying to push the envelope and kind of uh, what a local pop sound would be like Death Cab for Cutie and Eureka Farm. Uh, Sharpie was happening at the time and they were just spectacular, punishing band, uh, Revolutionary Hydro, which had that kind of, uh, Sebado indie rock kind of vibe to them, you know? Um, and then as we started up Federation X, I mean, some, some of these bands that 20 years later are my favorite bands still that I've ever worked with, that I've ever heard all came from that time period. And there was nobody writing about what was happening in the music scene. I had grown up on the Rocket uh, out of Seattle, and which was a great publication, and saw what it had done for a music scene. So myself and a couple of friends would look, and uh, we realized that there was a, there was some things happening here that people needed to know about, and we wanted people to be able to read about it and go see these shows to get more people out because you'd have thirty people at a local show and was great bands, you know, and that was just kind of the norm of the time. So we wanted to really push that. Um, So I guess to, as that's a long-winded answer of, it was a lot slower, but there was some great music happening. So maybe you can talk about the beginning of um, the moment when you decided you wanted to start the magazine. Was there something specific that happened that that drove that decision or? Well, it's actually uh, funny. Um... There is a moment that it actually happened, but I had started working on the idea about a year before I wanted to have a paper like The Rocket, but I had no, I, I had to 
you know, uh, sociology degree. I had no idea of journalism. I had no idea how to put a paper together, anything like that. So everything I knew was just based off of um, what I was reading in The Rocket or other publications. And mind you, when I was working on this stuff, um, I was also smoking a lot of pot and not moving at a particularly fast rate, you know, and drinking a lot. Um, so in January 98, my buddy Sean Spain called and Sean had been booking shows in town and had actually worked at the Herald doing uh, some entertainment stuff uh, and had been in bands. And he said, let's put a paper together. And at the time I was dating this woman who was a graphic designer. So we met, it was the middle of January 1998, and six weeks later we had our first issue out. Yeah, it was pretty dramatic. So I had wanted the idea, and then after Sean called me, it was like, yes, let's do this. And we got an office down by uh, the library, the downtown library, which we had for about five months, and uh, um, just kind of started rolling but that was the there was literally and i wish i'd written it down uh like a day where we said let's do this and a couple days later we met for coffee at stewart's coffee house which is now by you and the rest is history who were you 20 years ago um i was much like now a well-intentioned music fan um but i was very immature and I and very scattered and um, really needed to escape a lot. Uh, but I was having a lot of fun. I mean, that was the thing about that time, you know. So we would go see bands on the weekend and just just go a little crazy. And it was just so much fun at that time, too. Estrus was huge, Estrus Records. So all these great garage rock bands were coming through, great bands. 20 years ago, I guess I was just a music or a failed musician who really liked to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So you had played some music then? I had, but I was terrible. I mean, you know, I was a drummer, so I could always play with people because people always needed a drummer. But it's terrible. I was a really bad drummer. And eventually I realized that I didn't like playing music as much as I liked putting a paper together. So there's, if I did my math right, um, you graduate from college, and then it's a it's like a year, year and a half before you start the magazine, right? Right, right. Because I graduated in, in in the summer, summer of '96. I almost moved to Seattle, but the house I was moving into got flooded. And that was in January of '97. I met Amy, who was my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I think that spring, and then it was nine months, eight months later. We started doing What's Up. And you said it took a while for you to, like you had been thinking about the magazine. Mm -hmm. it, what was that process like? Or what, do you, remember? you know, it was funny because it was like when I look back on it, I basically would just have my this old computer and jotting down notes of what I wanted it to be like. But I had no context and no understanding at all of what would actually take to put that together. And I probably realistically didn't know for years even to do it uh, effectively. It was just kind of a brainstorming some different ideas and what I was seeing in the rocket and what I if I could do it myself kind of thing. But I had such a lack of experience and uh, that I I could never pull it off just on my own. You've talked about the rocket quite a bit as far as um, sort of being a, a an inspiration. Yeah. Are there other magazines or other music writers that then or or now you sort of look to and think like I like what really? they're doing. Really, it was. Um, it really was just the rocket. Um, now, I'd say within the last 10 years, Mojo uh, out of uh, England is a great, great magazine. Uh, has some fantastic articles. They've kind of focused on historical reference with a lot of it. But we've gone through there and gone, okay, let's do that. You know, like the 11 questions I totally ripped off from Mojo. And um, and the way they kind of laid their that out, a lot of it. But between Mojo and The Rocket, those are kind of the two that I looked at um, as my main inspiration. Um, and The Rocket was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it was just a great paper. And you know, Nirvana, I mean, I read about Nirvana when they were just starting out. Green River, you know, Mother Love Bone as they released their record and 
Andrew Wood had just passed, all these kinds of things. And I always thought that was just the very coolest thing was to have a publication. I don't know why I never asked if I could write for him. I just didn't even think about it. <laughs> Were it not for the flood in Seattle, we might not have a What's Up magazine. There's actually you two. Might be There's a, actually uh... two times. There was the flood in Seattle. Um, and then uh, 15 years ago, it'll be 15 years ago in May, where I was literally, I was like, okay, cool, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I'm done. I'm moving to Seattle. I had just gotten fired from a job, which I was not very good at. So it was understandable that I had gotten fired. And so the thing with the flood was before was that I had met Amy, and that's basically what kind of kept me here. And Amy and I eventually broke up. Um, and then uh, literally I had gotten fired. I'm like, I'm going to paint houses this summer, and I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. You know, it was fun. It was a cool hobby for five and a half years, six years, something like that. Let's kind of wrap it up and move on to something else. And then uh, uh, I met Becca, who um, actually knew newspapers and whatnot. And she was like, you know, you could actually kind of do something really cool with this. And then she showed me how to do things. And we also obviously fell in love. And, and that, yeah, like I said, it was 14 years ago in May, I think. So, and then I haven't had any meeting any other women to keep me in town. It was <laughs> my wife would be the one. <laughs> Is it true that she took your job that you failed at? No. I took her job and she was so good at her job and I was so terrible that like it was immediately obvious that I was completely unqualified for the job. So she so Becca has been doing publishing uh, since she was 15. So she's uh, a publishing force. I mean, she's completely awesome. And she was working the Wacom Independent and she left. No, she was working the um, Northern Light. And she left to go work at the Wacom Independent and the Northern Light hired me. And I was totally unqualified. <laughs> Nor did I give a shit. It turned out I did not care about when roads were being fixed. You know, I'm like, who cares? Yeah, your road's fixed. Whatever, you know? And that was not what I should have been doing for a local paper. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so she's uh, uh, she's absolutely brilliant and has been kind of the one who's kept me on track with a lot of stuff as well, you know? And keeps definitely, like, you can tell when Becca started working on the paper, it was like, oh, like I've gone through archives and went... Oh, okay. Well, within about this three-month span, Becca became much more active in paper, and it became a lot better. It seems like you, at least looking at the magazines from really early on that I've been checking out, like it seems like there's a lot of format experimentation that's happening in like the, that's the 99. Way. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, a really nice you did way. Music of reviews for a while. There were. <laughs> well, we had this really, you know, after like three years or so, it's like God. All those bands I'd have talked about that had gotten us into the music scene, I think all but FedEx were gone, you know, within a three-year period, which now I understand. I mean, that's just the kind of the wave of that happens in the Bellingham music scene. So we were just kind of like, God, there's nobody we really feel like covering. And we were trying to be more like the stranger, I guess, but we were so bad at how we were doing it. And people would pitch articles. I was like, ah, sure, whatever. That's fine. We'll have a wrestling article. What the fuck? It's the dumbest damn thing in the world. But we did a wrestling article, which it in some ways was hilarious because the guy would treat it as if it was like a real wrestling thing. So he'd pick beefs with people, you know, and they would, you know, kept us entertained. But I couldn't imagine if you did not really know what was going on, you would think it was the dumbest damn paper ever. Yeah, it was. There was a lot of crap in there, but then actually, I will say it about. I think it was the three-year mark. I think it was actually right as we turned three. Uh, Kerry Ross got involved, and Kerry Ross is now the the music writer for the uh, for the Cascadia Weekly. Yeah, yeah, and um, she helped quite a bit change how it was. You know, she she was really instrumental in kind of helping focus the thoughts, and she made it a lot better. And then um, I broke up, or Amy and I broke up, and Carrie went and got a job. And then so I kind of did it on my own with Becca, but Becca not being part of it. And then it was really bad, and then Becca got 
in, into it and it got much, much better. It feels like you've had a ton of different writers and different contributors come through the magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, is there... Is there a process by which you like accept people or take applications? Has that changed at all? Um, I have a more of a general way of doing it now. Um, normally, it's just people start with reviews, and then if they can show they can do deadlines and they can write worth a shit, then we'll start moving them up from reviews to maybe live reviews to spotlights and then features. Um, some people I can who if I'm familiar enough with what they're doing I can let them jump up you know and not start at reviews um, but that doesn't happen that often because I want to have a familiarity with what people are doing so um, uh, that's kind of the process and it's funny you know we're always looking for writers and people don't ever really understand that they get nervous about emailing me and I mean I'm just basic Yahoo, you know, some kind of schmuck and <laughs> like people just need to email me and, and, and they could write for the magazine, you know, cause we always, because people always graduate from college and take that experience and get real jobs. Is it, is it weird to recognize that you know, over the course of 20 years, you've gone from, you know, maybe some guy who just feels like I'm throwing together a paper to like you, you have, uh, not only a big part in the music scene, but you're essentially the the voice of, you know, how people view the Bellingham music scene, mm. at least through through the lens of your paper. Is it is it hard to like accept that mantle or take take that role on? Sort of, yeah, it is actually um, because Beck and I just put out papers, and I don't try to think too much of it past that, like. Everything is always a series of getting the next issue out, getting the next issue out. So, uh, like when, when when the 20th party was happening, it was I was able to really look and reflect on what I had done because there was a shit ton of people out and people were having a great time and places were packed and and it's like okay, this this is very cool. You know, I've actually done something substantive with my life, or at least, you know, to some extent, uh, the last 20 years. And I don't think people get a chance to ever experience that. Um, but it is really hard for me to kind of look at it and say uh, that when you look at the music scene, much of what you're looking at is coming through what I feel like printing, I guess, you know. I don't like to think about that kind of pressure. I just do what I'm going to do. <laughs> All right, I've got a, a quote from the January 1999 local <laughs> notes section, <laughs> which is now what we call Labit. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so you say, uh, before I get to the news of the town, i got to get something off my chest. I can't believe there are people around town who are still bitching and moaning about the local scene. There are a ton of great bands, you know, Sharpie, Federation X, Death Cab for Cutie, Eureka Farm, My Friends and I, Basement Swing, and Monkey, 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 just to name a few. Monkey, Monkey, Monkey. That was a good band. <laughs> You've also got a kick-ass bar in the double wide, bigger shows on campus, and a pretty damn cool radio station. What the hell do you want? Okay, so you wrote this almost 20 years ago. Yep, yeah. Um, I, I remember writing it, too. But, it, I mean, it feels, that sentiment feels just as salient today as it did yep. 20 years ago, yep. I imagine. Are, are there like, are there cycles that you no. have detected in, or like no. trends no. that people always there, feel It's that an way? age. It's, I think, an age and a perspective on how you're looking at the music scene. You know, I think with age comes perspective and being able to look and see uh, the, the, you know, I always say we're looking from the 10,000 foot view where you can look and see the entire thing. When you're 22 and in the mix, you know, you want – you don't understand why this isn't Austin. And um, and I think that's great because it helps power some people to make changes and to try to push things. You know, you don't want just a bunch of old crotchety guys like me deciding how things are going to be, you know. It needs that kind of young – uh, mentality, but that's it, it. Always is. It's always like, oh, the scene isn't this. The scene isn't this, and the scene isn't this. And it takes a lot of time to be able to, having been here, to be able to look back and go, mm, the scene is pretty rad. I mean, you know, I would rather be here than in Eugene or in Kansas City. You know, I mean, some other, some big cities 
I think we uh, we have more cool happening. Um, but it's part of youth is always wanting to push it and push it and push it, and that's awesome. I love I love that. In subsequent ones, I think I've mentioned nobody knows about you and Everett, and that's always the two things: quit complaining because this is great, and quit being arrogant because people here know who you are. People somewhere else they don't give a shit. Yeah, I I, I could remember. I mean, from several bands that I've been in, like you know, being at young 20-something-year-old reading the What's Up and you're like, every month you're like, go on tour. Yeah. Leave oh, town. God. Please leave town. It's Please like, go on tour. And, that's, and it's 20 years later and that's still the same mantra. And and um, if you don't tour, unless you're like a professional musician in into your 40s or something like that, it's a different, totally different scene. But if you are... 22 or 23, and you want to be a bigger band, you have to tour. You can't just put out cool records necessarily, you know. And now the internet has changed that a bit where it is easier to get out. And um, But then those bands who get out, they'll become bigger and then still have to go tour and tour and tour. And I think bands like um, Odessa, Manitou Commune, uh, some of the electronic bands that actually grabbed a big following from the beginning because of – the internet, they all got on the road. And that everything is about being on the road. Because when you go play a show in Sacramento to four people, you still have to give a shit. And you still have to deal with your band driving from Portland to Sacramento. And if you don't kill each other, then you're going to have this bond with each other. And you're going to um, be able to get in each other's heads as you develop new songs. And develop, and then soon you've played Sacramento three times, and instead of four people there, there's actually 45 people there. And they're there to see you, and you're starting to go up on the bill. I think the co-founder actually does a really good job of that right now. They are, he's trying to um, – Hayden Eller's trying to tour every three months or so, and it is horrible, and you lose money, and you don't sleep, and his band is better for it. So that's – and, you know, you know. I mean, you know. It's key. And Robert Blake being a perfect example of how much he's been able to grow as a musician because of going out and going out and going out and going out. Me, I hate that crap. I want I like my bed. <laughs> so it's always like the funny thing of me saying, You guys got a tour. I'm gonna go sleep in my comfy bed because I don't like being like unless I'm in a forest, I don't want to be in a sleeping bag on somebody's floor. I have no interest in it at all. But that's why I guess I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I don't know if there's a, a better way to say this. How do you hold on to a perspective or a vision of the music scene as you get older in a way that makes it feel like you can still put out a magazine each month that is, you know, is relevant to the music scene? It's... That's a good question. Um, I'm glad at least it looks that way, you know? Uh, at least it comes across. We've gotten in dips before where I was not paying attention enough to what was happening in a very lower sub-level, and it kind of bit us in the ass. So I'm really uh, trying to always make sure I'm seeing where things are going. Um, but, like... Uh, I was listening to Tetrachromat, um, young band, just put out a record, you know? Um, I'm 47. They're, what, 22, 23? It's still a great record, you know? It's still an awesome record no matter what age I'm at. And that kind of stuff still gets me excited, you know? I get excited seeing people making music, um, uh, especially young people as they kind of are – Developing their craft and finding out who they are in the process. You know, my dad was a teacher, so um, I kind of have that element of my personality. And so I'm able to keep young at heart, just like my dad, you know, would have to keep relevant to his high school students. And so um, you mix that with really having a genuine love of music and not just the music I heard in 1992. You know, um, put those two together. I'm able to keep in touch, I think, well enough, you know, well enough that I'm satisfied with it. 
I think this question is is much more for me than it is for <laughs> maybe any listening audience. But um, when you're so you know you put up Libit every month and. No. It looks like you've tried to hand that duty to other people, oh, then God. it always comes back to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, how do you come, how, how do you stay abreast of all of the little details enough to be able to actually put out a full page of like, here's what everybody is doing? Well, it's Facebook, a lot of it, um, which is kind of awkward because I just got off Facebook. So I'm going to have to go on and, you know, kind of get on there and run through like a week's worth of news. And then get off again. And so I can't permanently be detached from Facebook, which I wish I could. What was it like before Facebook? Oh, God. Well, I was out a lot more. So I would literally have a notebook with me, right? And a pencil or pen. And somebody would say, oh, yeah, we're releasing this new album. Or, hey, I've got this new band. And I would write it down. This little notebook, and this is after, you know, 10 drinks, right? It's a two in the morning at the 3B Tavern, and um, I'm drunk as hell, and people are telling me in this information. I'm like, oh, shit, okay, i got to, you know, write all this stuff down. <laughs> and then would go back and email and say, hey, what was going on with this, or what were we talking about? Um, so I was generally able to kind of get information like that just being out. A lot of it, too, is... Like, I'll do the calendars myself. So then I see bands that are starting to play more, and then I'll reach out to bands. And it's, what's what's going on? What do you have? Are you recording an album or something like that? So, yeah. It's weird. It's so hard to explain to people because it's so second nature to me. I just get the information. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. All of a sudden, I know who Glitchlet is. When they have played like one show and released a couple songs, but I do, and they're fantastic. So I get to write about them, and I know, you know, and it's just one of those things that things have a way of popping on my radar when it's good. Uh, about ten years ago, I think you were at least thinking about selling the magazine, or yeah, tr- or yeah. if not actively trying to sell the magazine. Oh, I was actively trying to sell it. What happened? <laughs> um. Honestly, what happened was I quibbled over $5,000 with somebody. I wanted a certain price, and they wanted to give me $5,000 less than that, and I said no. Yeah? And it was a substantial chunk of money. I was like, no, I want the price that I think it's worth. Um, And that fell through, and I had another offer that was like half of what I wanted. So that's not going to work. We had just had a baby. I was living out in Glacier, and we were doing the Foothills Gazette, which was another paper. So I just wanted to put all my energy towards the Foothills Gazette. At the time, um, What's Up was not making very much money at all. I mean, it doesn't make much money now, but at that point, it was really not making much money. So it was seemed like a good idea, seemed like a good time to transition. I think I was almost 40, and I was just like, dude, this is... Nobody's going to listen to me when I'm 40. Like, I wouldn't listen to me at 40, you know? And it's about 10 years ago, and around 12 or 13, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make it to 15, and I'll just get it there, and just kind of kept going from there. When you started the magazine, did you have a vision a year out, five years out, oh, God, 20 no. years out? No, no, no. Now do you have a vision a year out? Five years out? I have a vision a year out. Um, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen after that, honestly. it's I know that I want to get to 21. The Rocket lasted 20 years and six months as an independent publication, so I'm going to beat The Rocket. <laughs> um, and I want to get to 21. And then past that, I don't know what's going to happen to the paper. That's... You know, um, something that we're working on right now. I'm just going to get to that point. And after that, I'm making no promises on anything. But I've never had a vision for the paper ever. (laughs) We never had a business plan. So we just did it, you know. All right, we'll get back to my conversation with Brent Cole. But I want to take a moment to ask for your support. If you're enjoying the podcast so far... Hit the pause button and take some action. 
Support can mean a few things here. You can go to our website, littlecitybigsound.com, and click on the Support the Show button. There's one at the bottom of every page. There you can send a donation of any amount you choose directly to us, or you could choose to advertise on our show, right in this spot, right here. You could be sending your message to our throngs of listeners. Andy, how many people are in a throng? Well, you know, uh, uh... Perfect. Yes, throngs and throngs of listeners. Don't worry, I can do all the talking. Lastly, if you're short on cash, no problem. Just rate and review us in the iTunes store. It'll help others find us. You know, algorithms and all that. Okay, enough solicitation. Back to my conversation with Brent Cole. Is it hard to be a member of a community... Like you're uh, you're a person in the community, yes. Um, and then you're also putting out this voice uh, as a piece of the community. Is it hard to figure out what to cover or what your um, I don't know, like what your responsibility is to your community or to your to your readers? You know, is there a certain level where you're like, I just want to cover the CDs that are being released? Actually, we made that decision quite a while ago. Um, instead of um, jumping into other news that's happening in the town, that even if it might be relevant to what we're doing, unless it is music or art specific, let's stay away from it. I, I just I want a place where we can just look at music and just look at art and talk about that kind of stuff and don't have to try to tackle some of the big subjects. Um, I'm not particularly good at tackling the big subjects, so I decided to stay away from it. Some people are fantastic at it. You know, uh, friends who are journalists who are great with understanding a situation and how to articulate the different ideas of it. I'm really good at understanding what a band is about and articulating that. And so I like working with our strengths. But it's tough and it's difficult to kind of figure out what my responsibility is. Um, and it has to be something that we look at regularly and to see if things need a shift. Hmm. And I always come back to, I like what I do and what we're about. And we'll see if the next situation makes me shift. Does that make sense? I like kind of being an oasis. It's almost like a baseball game. I like watching a baseball game. I don't have to think about anything. I'm just watching a baseball game. You read what's up. You don't have to think about all the stuff that's going on in this world, you know, whether it's locally or nationally or, or anything like that. You can just sit and read about Glitchlet and this great songwriter who, who just on her own, um, well, along with Brennan, uh, who didn't have a history, long history of bands, is making this very cool pop music. And I'm, I'm, I just think the, the absolute world of her music, and I just, you can just sit and uh, eat your bagel and read that and not have to think about other stuff. And I like being that outlet. How did you know the bagel is where I read my What's Up magazine? <laughs> is it really? <laughs> It always trips me out because I'll go places. It's like, wow, that's right. I actually – we put that paper out and people read it. Like we don't think about it. We put the paper out and then we'll go place and go, oh, God, that's right. People actually read this stuff. That's – you know, it's better if I don't think about it that way because I'll get super self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – I think there are a lot of us that have a – Almost a ritual around, you know, it yeah. comes out once a month. There's, there's yeah. sort of like, oh, I need to sit down and spend my time with the what's up. And, and like, and that's what I used to do with the rocket. Absolutely. Totally. Um, it's funny, uh, you know, when you talk about ritual, when we had, when the magazine turned 50, 15, we had a uh, gallery show at Makeshift and every one of the covers was up, you know. I was in the, the main area and watching people go, oh, I moved to town right here. You know, or and they would remember they moved to town. They saw there was a what's up. They knew everything was going to be okay, and people were just person after person after person would look and say, "Oh yeah, I moved in here. Oh yeah, I remember when I was a freshman and I picked up the paper. I've been here six months. It was that paper." You know, it's very cool that people have a um, ritual or or it, it's a marker in people's lives. 
that part's uh, fantastic when I look back on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's this is it's uh well, I don't know. It's sort of embarrassing to admit this. I in preparation for this interview, I tried to find a uh, a archive of What's Up magazine. Yeah. And you have like 2 years from the 90s on your website and then 20, 2015 or something like that. Yeah, actually the physical copies are at makeshift. No way. I yeah. went there and they told me they didn't have them. No, they should. They used to. Well, I don't know who I talked to. Yeah, they used to. I talked to the person there. I mean, it's been a couple of directors past now, mm-hmm. but when Cat C was there, we had uh, we had the first fifteen years were basically there, minus like a couple issues. Please do something to preserve all of those. Oh, uh, I know. Um, <laughs> Holly from the Shakedown has a bunch, and so she wanted to do an archive at the Racket. I think. Oh, cool. I have the copies. You know, I have everything at my house. I mean, there are some terrible issues, very well-intentioned, but really bad issues. It is a joy to read through them, I tell you what. I actually looked it through because I was looking through for photos of Lucas, right? So I was going through each and every issue, and I'm like, I have no idea who this band is. And it was like, you know, it was like a spotlight or a feature. It wasn't just some little CD review or something. It's like, I have no idea. It's as if I'd never heard of the band before. And after 20 years of covering so many bands, I've forgotten more than more, most people I've ever known But uh, with the Bellingham music scene. But it was funny going through, getting at that age and going, no idea who these guys are. Nobody looks familiar. None of this shit. I, I have no idea what's going on right now. Uh, can we talk about Lucas? Yes. Who, yeah, for who, sure. Who was Lucas Hicks to you? Uh... Shit, he was what's up. I mean, you know, he going through the magazine was really intense because go, when I was going through Lucas's working on kind of memorial, different, um, uh, I think we were doing the pictorial memorials, what we did initially. It was. Um, Staggering to see how much he was. What's up? You know, I mean, we're talking Pacer um, and then Jill Brazil for the what the first three, four years, maybe five, and who was gone, and then he came back, and he had cancer at that point, and he was so active, and he was so active in so many different projects that for a while it was like every three months. Here's Lucas, you know, with. Here's a Gallus Brothers pinup. Here's this. Here's this project. And his music and who he was left such an imprint on what we did um, that it's difficult thinking about doing it without him, really. You know? It really is. He was... Uh, and, and he, I wasn't a good friend of him, his, you know. We talked and stuff like that. We'd run into each other. Um, you know, I, uh, as he got sicker, I re- would call him, just check up on him and see how he was doing and whatnot. Um, and we got a little bit closer then. But we, I wasn't like I played music with him, you know. We didn't have that kind of relationship. But we were so entangled because of him with the band and me with the the paper that we were always kind of connected in that way you know i mean he was on the fifth cover of what's up um he was on it was in pacer and they were the first band to be on the cover uh or first band who was in the paper who broke up instantly after being in the goddamn paper and I found out later they actually broke up on the way home from the photo shoot. Like that they had so much fun at the photo shoot and realized they hadn't been having any fun as a band, so they broke up. Um, and then we did a story on them. They knew they'd broken up, but we had them on the cover and they were our feature story. Um, you can see that 20 years later it still pisses me off. <laughs> um but, uh, you know, so uh, even from the very beginning, he was a part of it. And um, like I said, I just can't even imagine doing a paper without him in it. I can't imagine what the Jamboree is going to be like. 
was the last time I saw him, you know, and um, I, I can't fathom in a lot of these ways how life is going to be without him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You forgot to mention that he had a band called the Brent Coal Miners. Oh, fuck, that's right. <laughs> God, what an asshole. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? The magazine really not was not it, it deserved to be poked fun of at that point, and I deserved to be poked fun of at that point. And it was pretty funny and silly. Uh, yeah, I, I'll never forget him telling me back in 1998. I think it was 98. Maybe it was fall of 98. Yeah, uh, yeah, the magazine's looking better. It was like I was all proud of this, and he was just like, yeah, it's getting better. Huh. Thanks. I was pretty happy with it, but until I started talking to you, you know? Um, and, of course, years later, that kind of uh, – I think Trevor from Pacer and I were talking about just his arrogance, you know, was part of the drive, too. And it's part of what um, was so fun and engaging about him, Um and I, and I can only imagine what being in a band with him would have been like at times. <laughs> I will say this, and I don't know you, you know, you didn't ask this or anything like that, but um, well, give me the question to ask. Um, if, if there is anybody else that you draw inspiration from. Brent, is there anyone else that you draw inspiration from? <laughs> Aaron Roeder. Aaron Roeder who now owns Red Rum, owns Caps, owned the 3B Tavern. He's also somebody who uh, I, I've looked up to for like uh, a Robert or a Lucas, somebody who has been here, who made the commitment to live here and be part of this community and put good back into it. So he doesn't do it with music the way he did 10 years ago with the 3B. But... Um, he is a constant source of inspiration in that he's trying to do cool stuff here. And um, and also, and I've said this to him, I've said this to anybody who listened, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't live here. I would not have lived here. I stayed here because I liked going to see shows at the 3B Tavern, even before What's Up. I was not in love with the town at all. You know, uh, it was very slow. I came from Seattle. I wanted to be around more action. But... His shows, the stuff he was doing at the 3B was so cool and it was so inviting for people to get into music and be part of that community. It was something that uh, – had that not happened, I would had he not done that bar, specifically that bar, I would not live here because of who he was and what it meant to the community and the style of music he did. And – to the point, I don't know if you went to the 3B. I was going to say, can, like, so I, you know, I moved into town in 06. Mm. So I missed, there's this, oh. there's this chunk of time that it's actually oh, like every uh, mural that Michael Costello has ever done is like, <laughs> is, is, is this snapshot of like 2001 to 2004 right, right. or something like that. I was just like in the that. grand actually looking yeah. at the, the mural. Um, the 3B... I always tell people, you could come there on a Friday night and know you would know no none of the bands, and there was a good chance you'd find something in there that you'd buy a shirt from, or a band that you buy a shirt or a CD or something like that from. You know, he had a really good taste in what he was doing, and he was um, he would if a, if he liked your band, he would bring you a case of beer while you're playing. He was that kind of guy. Like, he was as much a fan as everybody else. Um, you know, I remember when the Quadrajets played there in that summer of 98. Um, great band from Alabama. Just killer. Three guitars. And we used to throw beer. You know, you threw beer on bands. Uh, it was a sign of respect. It's a sign of we like what you're doing. So somebody threw, like, threw some beer on him and chat. The main guy was like... You know, oh, don't throw me. Don't throw a beer on me. If you, you don't throw a can of beer, you know, if you're going to do it, really do it, throw a bucket. So, Rotor and um, 
Aaron or uh, Dave Kreider from uh, Estrus Records and the Monoman and whatnot. Uh, they went back and and I mean Rotor just got they got two buckets full of Rainier, you know, and we have a picture of them throwing it on Chet and the whole band, and it's literally a wall of beer coming at these guys, and he's playing, you know, he's playing a song, and he's just getting beer thrown at him in a bucket. It was that kind of place where they, they gave a shit and they were going to have fun. They cared about the bands and they cared about having a good time. And that permeated everything that they did. You know, it wasn't stiff. It was like, it was awkward. It was unnerving initially if you didn't, weren't into that scene because it was like, God, oh, these are the cool people. And then you get into it and like, oh, these are not cool people at all. They're just morons who are having fun just as you want them to be, you know? I, I feel like you do a great job of shining a spotlight on the things about Bellingham that you love Yes. in the What's Up. Does it ever feel like, have you, have you ever wanted to say like, I just listened to that album, it's terrible, and I'm going to no. write that in a review nope. and publish that? Nope. Nope. Because, and it pisses people off, we don't do it that way. But if we write a review, and we have in the past, just so... I mean, this is a conscious decision on our part. Um, reviews, two things with reviews. Number one, it's always subjective. What I think is crap, somebody else might really enjoy. Um, so I'm always really uncomfortable that way. The other thing is outside of a handful of people, nobody's really a professional musician. And even if they are a professional musician, they are a struggling professional musician. We aren't writing for Rolling Stone where we can critique an album that's going to sell 20,000 copies. So we really try to look at the positives um, more as a fanzine. And then if there's some stuff for like, eh, maybe you should work on your production a little bit better next time, you know? And we try to critique, be constructive about our criticism. Um, but I figure, too, uh, I'm not somebody who should say whether or not a band is terrible in a review, but I will tell you what is good by what we put in the pages outside of reviews, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like if we have – if we do a story on a band, I might not like them, but I can understand why other people might, if that makes sense. I had a uh... – a visiting friend recently asked me if if the art scene in Bellingham creates pressure to be good or to be great. And I, you know, she, uh, I should qualify this by saying she's she's a theater person and is looking was looking for a place like he's looking for a town to come to and start a theater scene. And she's she asked me this question: is like, do you feel like there is pressure in Bellingham to deliver, like no. to be great? No. Nope. I do not. And I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find um, pressure in small towns because it's a different way of life. If you're moving to Bellingham or you live in Bellingham, you're not living in Seattle, L.A., or New York, where it's more high-pressure, where it's competitive, um, where uh, there's more emphasis on social stature. Uh, if you live in Bellingham... You can be the editor of a paper that no matter what just does not come out on time. And if I was in Seattle, I would get raked over the coals for that, you know. I don't have any pressure aside from what I put on myself to make sure I do my shit right. So for somebody moving into town, I think there's a lot less external pressure because people just get excited about things that are happening that are cool. But I do see people who are balance that out with more internal pressure because it's so much more intimate. If you're playing in a band, you're playing music and those are your friends. You're not playing in front of 500 people of you've no idea who they are. You know, if you're playing at the shakedown, uh, those are your friends and you're going to put pressure on yourself to not suck because you don't want to look like an idiot. So I don't think the external pressure is there, but I think that, um, or at least I like to believe that there's more internal pressure 
to, to produce because uh, that things are so much more intimate as a community. Do you think there are ways that we as a scene or as a community could be doing better? If you start saying, what could we be doing better, are you taking away from what Bellingham is just Bellingham, you know? If you start saying, and so my answer is not necessarily no, but it's a really weird fine line because you want to improve on things, more venues, more um, art. Um, but then there's also the reality of this is not an area that has money. I will say this, though. Whether it's something we can do better, we need to work a lot harder on creating or trying to foster a creative culture because I think it's going away pretty quickly. Um, I think that you see it in places like Seattle and you see it up and down the coast. You know, there's always the mantra, keep Portland weird. Well, Portland's super expensive now. Detroit's weird because it's cheap. and Or Philly. Philly has a killer. Oh, what a great music scene in Philadelphia, you know. So I think we are really in danger of potentially losing part of what makes Bellingham so special because we are the creative class cannot afford to live here. For example, the hub, that building that the hub's in, those buildings where the alt library was, all are getting destroyed. It's all getting torn down. They're putting in more apartments. Those kind of shitty little buildings that were cheap aren't cheap anymore. So you can't have things like the hub and you're not going to have the naked bike ride anymore. And some of those things that are kind of weird in town, it's harder and harder to exist without money here. And obviously musicians and artists don't have money. So I don't know how to do it, but it, we really need a fight. And I hope that the city will take this up to, to maintain or balance out what's happening in town with a strong creative culture. This is a terrible question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. Um, you know, so I've, I've been really excited about podcasting and trying to do something about podcasting. And this all came out of sort of like, well, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Sure, you yeah. are in the music scene. Right. Ask people about that. You know about that. Um, so here we are embarking on this this new venture of trying to cover the Bellingham music scene. Sure. Um, you got any tips? Oh, Pay attention. Pay. I think it's the most important thing when covering a music scene is pay attention to the small things because you don't know when the small things are going to be the big things. You know, um, what might be a small band playing Bosco's on a Thursday night in two years could be a band that's playing to three or 400 people at the Wild Buffalo, you know? So I always, the way I do things is I'll put things in the calendar and I can just start to see. And it's very kind of like, I, okay, well, I've seen that band's name and they played there. Oh, they're, now they're opening up for co-founder. Okay, so now I need to pay attention. And you know what I mean? And it, it's, um, uh, I think just paying attention and looking at things from the 10,000-foot view is really the most important thing. Um, it, it, it's so easy to do a podcast and get stuck in your genre of tastes, and everybody does it, right? So there's like 10 different, I'm into punk, I'm into this, I'm into this. And um, it's much more fun to be at the 10,000-foot level and be able to see how the whole thing fits together and all the different pieces make this community, even though they operate oftentimes on their own. Mm. I don't know if that's a particularly informative answer, but um, sure. uh, that's the way I always see it. I'm sensing that it will be difficult to – I mean, you're, you're a great talker. You've also done a ton of interviews. Yes, and you have a lot to say. This is something you care about. Yes. There's part of me that worries about how much time we're going to sit down. We're going to spend sitting down with like a 22-year-old, you know, this is the second oh, yeah, band totally. I've ever had. Yeah. And, yeah. But you've done a ton of those interviews. Mm -hmm. They suck. What? 
<laughs> They're terrible. You're sitting there, and I'm like, I want well, to. I will say this too. This is. Um, I learned this from. What's that guy? Larry King. He would know nothing. He would do no research at all, and would just talk. And his interviews, he would get out what needed to happen because he wasn't going in with, you know, these pre-thought out, I want to turn things, have things go in this direction kind of thing. So that's the one thing I would suggest. And that's what I've stopped, right? If I'm interviewing somebody, I don't have questions anymore. I just go in and start talking, you know? Now I've done enough interviews that I, in my head, have, okay, who, what, when, where, why? You know, how do I want, uh, uh, I, I have the vague thing. But if you're sitting there and you're talking to some kid, um, and I say kid because they are literally almost the same age as my kids, right? A lot of times, though, if it's a local band, they're just happy somebody's paying attention to them, you know? And um, I remember I've had interviews where I was like, this band, whatever, interviewed them. It's like, God, they're fun. They were really nice people. You know, they were really energetic about it. And then six months later, they broke up, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Noise toys being the specific <laughs> one I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but I'm, I think it's great. And I think it's really important. And uh, the more that we do as a town, as an art community in media, uh, I think the better. Uh, not for anybody's satisfaction, but ourselves. Uh, you and your wife, Becca, yes, co-published two, two, yeah, magazines, yes, and you have three kids, yes. How do you guys manage to to work together, raise your kids together, live together? Like, how do you how do you work out some sort of like a work life balance? How do you not Is kill that? each other? Um. This is going to sound so corny, but we really like each other. You know, we really enjoy each other's company. This is always such a loaded question. And we get asked this personally, not just, you know, with interviews and stuff like this, because it is so different um, than the normal family. Um, but we, from the very beginning, said we did not want to do things the way other people did it. So we have we said, okay, we want to be able to be there for our kids more than somebody who works eight to six or something like that. Those people have their priorities, and that's fine. We chose to do ours a, a different way. Um, and with that took us then working together. Um, and part of what helps, I think, the whole process is knowing that we're kind of on a greater mission of how we want to live our lives so we're not going to get kind of wrapped up in some of the the muck of working with each other. Do you feel like having kids changed the way that you interacted with the magazine? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Because I was more um, – I was became an adult, you know? I mean, when you have kids, you just kind of look at it differently. And so with that, I looked at work differently. Um and it also became a thing as they've grown up where they are closer in age, like I said, to, to the people that I work with. And, and you can kind of see and remember being 22 and also remember being an 11 and seeing even some of the similarities and personalities of just being younger and not having the life experiences, you know. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, kids change everything. Uh, everything, good or bad, it changes. <laughs> Do you feel like there are people in town that you that you go to when you feel like you're getting stuck or like you're sort of? No, actually, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, I'm the one, and B, if I if it's a, a say it's a local band, um, yeah, uh, the timing will just hit me, and I'll hear something and go, okay, cool, there we go. I needed to hear that. I think listening to Glitchlet is one uh, recent one where it's like, okay, this is not something I've had on my radar. Not even necessarily its style of music that I would normally like, but the way Autumn does it, I really, really appreciate what she's about and how 
how she's approaching the song structure. Hmm. Yeah. Are there any, let me give a couple of shout outs, like a, a couple of bands locally that you're thinking, okay, new, like new favorites? I, well, you know, I'm, uh, it's always kind of weird because if I start doing that too much and I leave people out, and especially since I'm so flaky, um, No Guts is about to go record a record, and I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, Stone Healer, actually, that would be the one. Um, uh, it's Jason McGurr from Death Cover Cutie and um, Peter Hillary from Toto Somos Lee uh, in the Apartment Kids. And it's basically like Peter kind of sets these electronic or like delay inspired kind of weirdness, and then Jason just goes off and like you're talking one of the top drummers in the damn world and he's getting and he plays in a band that is has a normal pop structure and he can kind of work within that and that's great um but then this is him outside of that pop structure and being able to really fly and it is unbelievably cool it is unbelievably cool so those are kind of the the things that i'm most excited about um Glitchlet, you know, is stoked what's going on. The Sheen. There's a really cool, weird scene starting to happen in Bellingham that I haven't seen in years. I mean, I'm talking it's probably been 20 years since I've seen as many people trying to make interesting, really interesting music, you know, that's kind of sourced from different spots other than what's normal and popular uh, in college rock or something like that at the time. And the Sheen are one of those bands where it's like almost a little bit early 70s English prog meeting, you know, with some can in there and some stuff like that, but also not where they actually go in these even noisier sections. So I'm really, really excited about that band. Like, they sent me a message, and, you know, I get messages, okay, lo-dee-do, listen to them, and it just happened to be one of those days where I had a second to listen to it. It was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is going on here? This is amazing. Really. And nobody knows who the hell they are. They've just started. You know, guy wrote the record while he was living in his van, you know, kind of thing. So cool. So there's stuff percolating every time. There's always stuff happening. You know, and then everybody will move away in four years and you'll have another one. <laughs> Brent Cole, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you asking me. And we appreciate you, Brent, and all you have done and continue to do for our quirky little community. We've got a little bit of bonus material related to the episode this month. If you want to check out the photo of Aaron Roder of the 3B throwing a bucket of beer at the Quadrajets on stage mid song, head to our website, littlecitybigsound.com. While you're there, you can throw us a couple bucks, send us a message, and follow the little buttons to our social media pages. You can also find a link to the music playing behind me right now. And who is this, you might ask? This is Glitchlit. Thanks for the recommendation, Brent, and thanks for the music, Autumn. This month's interview was recorded at Binary Studios. Thanks, Bob. We were engineered and edited by Andy Rick, theme music written and performed by Andy Rick, and our logo was designed by Andy Rick. Thanks for everything, Andy. Next month, a conversation with musician, educator, community cultivator, organizer of two music festivals, polyglot, aspiring novelist. Chances are you probably know her as Polecat fiddle player, Kaylee Miranda Schmid. Bellingham Kaylee Club is spelt Bellingham, C-E-I-L-I, which is a Gaelic word. That means like kitchen party, not my name. So Bellingham Cayley Club is not Bellingham Cayley Miranda Schmidt Club. It's Bellingham Irish Music Club. Great. Now I've got that out of the way. <laughs> is that something you have to explain a lot? Yes. <laughs> I feel really stupid telling people about the Bellingham Cayley Club, actually. <laughs> Join us next month for that and so much more. <laughs>